Welcome, everybody, to episode 10 of the How to Fix a Broken Record podcast. I, I got to keep it real with y'all. Like, I'm feeling a little emotional <laughs> about recording the last episode of this podcast. Oh, my gosh. But I have my brother from another mother here who will uh, be a part of the emotions. Yes. <laughs> All the emotions. I'm here to partake in them. I am so happy to have journalist, sight A&R. That, that's true. MC. That is also true. Spoken word and slam poet. Okay, let's do that then. Adon Bean. <laughs> hey, good people in the crowd goes wild. Yes. As if Holyfield has just won the fight. Yes. Great. It's great. I had to add it in. I appreciate I it. A little no- noise in. A little Look, applause it's, right it's, there. It's hella high tech here. Like, we got a lot of... You know what I'm saying? Like high technology things in place uh, going on here. And I am just happy to be here and be involved in this. This is the final episode. Final episode. How to Fix a Broken Record. Podcast. It's been great. It's Yo. been a great. Like, it's been a great journey. It's weird. Yeah. You know, Don and I both are, are stage performers. So you're mm. used to sort of being in front of an audience where you're hearing you're hearing them. Yeah. Whether they're booing or laughing or <laughs> right, <laughs> whatever right. their response is, you're hearing them, you know. Yeah. Well, podcasting has been like a big adjustment because I'm talking to some people and then they're listening, but we're not getting to interact. <laughs> Except I have had a moment with a few of you and I want to give a few of you some shout outs here. I've been a few random places and had some of you walk up to me that Ooh. I didn't know at all and Ooh. say, hey, I, I'm here at this event because found you through your podcast and started Dope. following you. And so that helps me to know that at least four of you <laughs> <laughs> solid four <laughs> have you been know. listening to this podcast. But I wanted Adon to be my guest. And really, in a way, we're sort of turning the tables a little bit for this wow. last episode. <laughs> Because Evil Adon life. is the site A&R for 4th District yes, and uh, a fellow podcaster there. So he'll tell you more about these things that he's doing. Absolutely. Um, but he is also a great interviewer and he had an early copy of this book. And he has also been my brother and friend since... I don't know if we want to say how many years that's been. We to do that. But we both went to college in the Atlanta University Center. So we, we have known each other since college and performed on stages together, mm-hmm. all these things. So I thought it would be great for you, not only uh, as my friend, as yeah. my brother, but also as a music aficionado and a music artist yourself to talk about the how to fix a broken record things. Is this where I like have to turn my this, this is podcast where, episode over to you? This is this is where <laughs> you uh hand over the keys to the uh less responsible sibling <laughs> <laughs> and you just hope you get it back in one piece. Yeah. And uh I just want to joyride this thing and enjoy and, and and really enjoy but no let me start out just from the outset saying thank you for uh for one this for this work for this book um for these series of essays memoirs that you compiled it was very uh as someone who has known you for as long as i have uh it was been very revelatory it's been very like honest it's been it's been, and I've appreciated it, and, I, and I've said this to you privately, so I definitely want to repeat it publicly, is that I feel like uh, more than your previous uh, book, um, 
which was Breaking Old Rhythms, which y'all should go check out and purchase and all that jazz. Uh, But even more than that work, I do feel like this is the work that reflects you in in a very uh, honest and true light. And I feel like I can hear you in the pages, you know? And uh, and I think that, uh, so I just want to thank you for that first. Then I also want to thank you for uh, just inviting me to be on this podcast. I've been seeing all these amazing guests that you've had on this podcast run. And I've been sitting here trying not to be jelly, but I've just been like, (laughs) man, you done got Montel uh, Jordan and his lovely wife. You done got... Uh, Brandon Gilliard Yo. on this joint. You got Jennifer Chung Man. on this joint. Jennifer Chung song. Like I mean, I, and I'm I. You got Grandma Bird on this joint. Like you Yo. started out at the Everest level. Yeah, and then everyone else, you kind of had to step down a little bit because Grandma, absolutely, That's right. That's right. Grandma Bird. You know. You, if you put Grandma Burt in one hand and this is how you do it, and the other hand, like I'm gonna go Grandma with Grandma Burt, like right there, hands out. So all this is to say that I've been seeing uh, these podcasts, I've been looking at it and, re- and listening to them, and I just been like, yo, this is so amazing. So when I got the call uh, to come off the bench to come in and do this good uh, interview with you, um, it's it's I just uh, feel honored and really excited and really. Um, interested to just kind of dig a little bit deeper into the work and into your process because I think that what the previous podcasts have been very helpful with is flushing out a lot of these chapters and ideas and overall themes and narratives but um but even still I think it's nothing like talking to the artist herself and, and hearing what this what this was you know what i mean what yeah. this process was so uh if it's all right with you amina brown owen i want to hop right into it listen i'm hand, i'm handing over the keys <laughs> hoping i don't have any fender benders oh man <laughs> man so you know some of these things um as you mentioned i am a uh, uh, i oversee um the site fourthdistrict.com and I work um, with a group of talented podcasters and writers and intellectuals and fellow creatives. Um, And we've been fortunate enough to have you be a part of a lot of what we've been doing recently over there. Um, And so uh, we also talked to you on one of the podcasts off the record uh, around the time that the book came out. And so there's some questions that I kind of want to not repeat here, but also kind of want to introduce to your audience as well. um, In, in, in case that they had not heard those episodes, but I really want to talk to you first about, you know, we are both, uh, I think writers by trade is what we would call it. But a lot of times, the majority of the times, the bread and butter tends to be, uh, you know, spoken word yeah. in that art form transitioning to this form of writing, you know, essays, long form, like a memoir style collection of essays have, how has the way in which you approach spoken word, has it informed the way that you do this, that you did this, or has it been a completely different process? Um, because, well, let me stop there and, and, okay. and, and you can attack that and I'll, I'll follow up. That's a really great question. I think, I think like poetry by its nature, when, I don't know if I could say for most poets, but for me, it's like, I don't know, it's hard. I would think it would be hard to write poetry without yourself, particularly spoken word, without yourself and your story being so present and entangled in it. But this book pushed me to write so much more vulnerably than I had ever written. Wow. 
And I find now in my poems, I cannot escape that. Wow. Yeah. So I think, or even in my performances, like, um, I think you were there at one of my recent uh, features. I had at Java Monkey Speaks. Absolutely. And I was just like in my feelings. <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, I'm just going to come into the performance with my feelings because right. my poems are all me being myself. So I don't have to sort of put on any sort of persona there. Yeah. So normally I would start off my set like, I would walk out with a poem. Okay. You yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. And because to feel like you have to sort of win the audience right then, you mm-hmm. got to prove to them you're dope enough for them to sit and listen to another, you know, 25 Absolutely. minutes of you. Yeah. And now feeling like, I think writing this book has made me feel like when I come to the stage now, my first moment of meeting the audience is not to have to prove to them I'm dope. Yeah. My wow. first moment is to say, this is the journey we're about to go on <laughs> Absolutely. together. Yeah. And, and almost starting off the set by holding space for people. I feel like a part of the journey of this book was learning to hold space for myself where I might be grieving, where I might be in a season of time longer than I thought I was going to be, right. where things that hurt you 10 years ago, come back and revisit you, you know, where I have ignorant thoughts and I want to think about them, whatever it is. So I think even learning to like hold that space for other people, I hope this book would do that. So I find that showing up in my poems I'm writing now, that they're very, very vulnerable. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm like, well, we out here now. I don't don't (laughs) know if I'm ever getting back to being like, leaves are pretty, you know, I don't know. (laughs) Absolutely. And And I think it's very important what you said there because I do think kind of that showing up and holding space for people, but what you also said, which was that you don't feel that pressure to like to prove yourself yeah. in the way that you know you had up to this point or or and just the way that artists in general we you know we tend to just feel like okay like let me show let me prove my worth first <laughs> you know like my you know let me show you you, my, you know my bona fides my 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 metal and then you know, then I feel comfortable enough to take you anywhere else after that. Um, you know, I think that you, what that speaks to, I think, is a lot of growth on your part and just being able to hold yourself in a way and say, like, look, I, I'm, I know what I can do. But and because I know what I can do, that frees me up to just start out with the unshaky, with the shaky ground, you know, yeah, with the things I, I'm yeah. not really sure about mm-hmm. because I, I know that this other thing is in place. And so even when you, you know, when you start this book and you're like, man, book introductions are awkward. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's the first sentence. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey guys. <laughs> Just so you know, this is weird. Book introductions are <laughs> awkward, you know? Um, and so, no, I, I think that that's, uh, that makes a lot of sense. I, I'd also say, even in your style of writing, Because even, you know, you say that like the way you because of this work that you've done that is prose, it's kind of informed a lot of your poetic style that you're writing. And, you know, there'd be times I'd be reading this uh, advanced copy of How to Fix a Broken Record and I would be like, "Uh, that's a poem right there. Uh, I don't know if she knows that, but that's a poem. I'm going to read this little small part right here, which is uh, from Lessons in Adulting Failure. 
Failure doesn't want to be our assassin. It wants to teach us the hard things. The aftermath of when we fail is life's best x-ray. It tells us where we are broken, wounded, disease. It tells us where we've been ignoring our hurt, our wants, our needs. It shows us who we are, who we've been, who we can be. Failure reminds us there is just as much strength in a beginning as there is in the f- in finding the ways to a new path where we've been reaching an unexpected ending. First I'm of all, here. First of all, I'm about to be mad that you just read my book a little bit better than I did. I'm listen, about to be upset about listen, it. Okay. I'm sitting here and I'm 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 writing in the margins bars. <laughs> bars. <laughs> Drop a bomb on it, flex. <laughs> 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 Jamaica air horns. Yo, Don DeMarco. Like I'm I'm reading these like, okay, so she's just gonna like fluidly move throughout prose and poetry. That's just what's gonna happen here. Bruv. Huh? Man. (laughs) I I didn't even know. I'm I'm looking back like See if I can get that paragraph into a stanza. <laughs> I'm just saying no. I'm saying no. So I mean, I do think it. I I thought it was just kind of interesting the way that that kind of played out for you. I mean, um, you know, one of the other things I want to, you know, that I'm thinking about with this book and, and and sitting and reading is that like, you know, when you when you what came first was it the form or was it like the overall like idea and content right because you have the thing about this book obviously that you have this you have this unique method and form in which you're talking about you know the book is entitled how to fix a broken record but then you're segmenting segmenting these sections of your overall life kind of by these albums that have had had have had a profound impact on you where when did that come in the process the form definitely came to me first. Gotcha. I had the form for a few months before I knew what the topic was going to be. Nice. And that was because I had been reading a lot of comedic women writers. I had been reading uh, Tina Fey and Amy Poehler, and I had read Issa Rae's Misadventures of Awkward Black Girl, and I, I had read at least one of Mindy Kaling's books. Mm-hmm. So I think reading those four, I went, oh, I love this. It's like, especially, I think, particularly in Mindy Kaling's book and Amy Poehler's also, they had like an overarching topic and then they had these shorter like essays or lists or, <laughs> you know, right, right, right. quasi chapters, whatever they were under there. And I thought, oh, I love this. Like, I would love to be able to pick topics and just kind of riff off of what I am thinking about the topic. So the form came to me and then I was just sitting around for a few months like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> I wonder yeah. if like the rest of this, <laughs> you know, idea is going to come to me. And then when the, because I'm always looking for like a thread. Mm-hmm. I can say that's true with both books, that the thread in the first book of, you know, I either have opportunities where life has broken my rhythm or I've chosen to break rhythm. And so that became the thread. So I was kind of looking for what's the thread of this book? And of course, somebody was like, well, you must like a lot of broken things because your first book was breaking old rhythms <laughs> and now you fixing a broken record. I was like, yeah, first of all, you need to psychoanalyze Absolutely. me from my book titles. Absolutely. I don't need that Absolutely. in my life. I mean, nobody signed up unless you actually that. got a solution that I'm, I'm ready saying, to listen right, to. Right. But I mean, if you haven't got a solution, don't psychoanalyze me. Anyway, so when I figured out the thread was the repeating message. And I loved that metaphor of just the sound of like the needle getting stuck in the groove. And I knew I wanted to call it how to fix a broken record. Mm -hmm. From there, I read two other books that really informed a lot 
of what this book became. One of them was, I think his name, I know his last name is Sheffield. I want to say his name's Rob Sheffield, who wrote Love is a Mixtape. Okay. And it was a memoir that the time in the memoir was marked by these mixtapes he had shared with his wife. Mm -hmm. And I loved that the music was there. And these record stores they went to while talking about this love and this journey they'd had. And in Quest Love's book, Mo Meta Blues. Oh, yeah. Great read. Which um, I feel almost crazy to even say that that was inspiring. (laughs) Not because it's crazy that it would be inspiring, but because he did such a phenomenal job <laughs> yeah. of the way he used albums to mark time in that book. So I tried <laughs> with my soundtracks. That's really where that idea came from. And I really wanted this book to have mixtape or something in the title. And then I read Sheffield's and I was like, nah, you got to choose a different metaphor because the homie killed it. He, right, he did right, such right. a great job, you know? <laughs> so I think Momenta Blue seeing Quest sort of take you through like, I was eight years old. And at that time, this way of making beats was popular. You know? <laughs> right, I right, mean, right. he was like the music archivist. Absolutely, you know? yeah. So I sort of took that and was like, I can do one sixteenth of what he did. <laughs> Here's what I have to say about these albums I love. Right, so right, So that's right. sort of how the form came about. No, and that's, that's it's impressive. And I think that you were successful in doing that um, because one of those ways in which you talk about, you know, it's broken up into these sections, right? And so you have... You know, love and be yourself, dating, marriage, lessons in adulting, control, alt, surrender, home and searching for the groove. And in the midst of all of these, you deal with a different album uh, from a different artist. And um, you have kind of these, you know, these page vignettes, essentially, that just describe what this album meant to, you know, you know. And so uh, one of, you know, whether that be Beyonce or Kanye West or. Uh, Fred Hammond. Uh, and you also, you know, you start with India Ari with this section of love and be yourself, which um, I think is, is super apt because um, she, she definitely, um, you know, if someone, if she, if she were to have a, a life's work or, or a theme that you would attach to her, that would definitely be, yeah. be what I would apply to her as mm-hmm. well. You know, just in terms of her her music oftentimes comes across as affirmations in and of themselves, you know. Um, but what I found myself when I was going through kind of that first uh, first little part here, you know, one of the things that was interesting is you're talking about growing up and um, and you grew up in in San Antonio. Yeah, that's what I claim is my hometown. Okay, I was there junior high and high school. Yeah, yeah, but. All the rest of the time, it was all these different cities in the south. <laughs> understood, <laughs> understood. But you know what I'm, I'm. It made me think about kind of one of the ways in which you early on kind of talk about like the cool kids, right? And yeah. and what that is and what that means. And I'm, you know, I'm curious now as an adult, both you and I, like how how is it? Do you think how do you foster a diverse community in an adult life? Uh, when, you know, it's seeming as an adult, you have more control in creating your environment than you did as a kid. But it seems like it's almost harder now to create an actual diverse community. And so I'm curious about like, uh, how do you do that with intention? You know, how do you do that in your day-to-day life or in your artistic life or anywhere, you know, spiritual life? Like, how, uh, what's some of the ways that you go about that? 
That's a really, first of all, that's a really great point that we're, that being adults, that we're at a point where we can actually like curate that <laughs> the best. Yeah. yeah. And we don't. And we fail. Or we find it super hard <laughs> to do so. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm trying to process that thinking like, I think a part of, a part of it is school in a mm, way yeah. like that there were a lot of times in school where I didn't, it's almost like now I'm like, do you make more diverse friends by not being in as much control? Because yeah, I'm like, when you're in school, if I went out to try to audition to be on the volleyball team or something like, mm-hmm. I don't have any control over who else makes the team. Yeah. So I end up in a locker room with all these different women <laughs> Absolutely. in there. You know, that yeah, like yeah. I probably never would have picked them as friends or <laughs> right. anything like that. But here we are. Now I know that you grew up Catholic and you're like one of 11 kids in your family. And Absolutely. like, well, I didn't even know that was a thing. You know, like, <laughs> Absolutely. So yeah. I remember being in, you know, elementary school. I went to elementary school in Maryland. So there was like a large, you know, Jewish community close to where we lived. So we actually like celebrated those Jewish holidays or learned like what the traditions were behind them and learned the dreidel song, you know, like I remember learning that as a kid, you know? Mm -hmm. So it started to make me wonder like, hmm, I wonder if a part of it is you need to have some times where you're not curating that because if you're going to curate it, wouldn't you curate it with people you, that think like you? Yeah. I wonder if it's one of those situations when left to our own devices, we, you know, we lean into our biases, we lean into our comfort levels, you know? And so we find ourselves in these places where it's like, I'm going to see, you know, it's the old lunchroom thing, right? You, you walk into a cafeteria and you're like, let me find the table that looks the closest to me. You know, you know, I'm not going to sit at this table, uh, you know, filled with, um, you know, you know, Asian people. I'm not Asian. I don't know right. if that should be for me. And I'm going to sit at this table with white girls. I'm not a white girl. Like I'm going to find a table of black dudes. Like, cause that's, that's my identity. Right. right and so, right. um, it ends up being this very weird way where, um, as adults, um, like you said, we can kind of control a lot of things, you know what I mean? Particularly, you know, both of us at this point are, you know, independent, work for ourselves yeah. in that sense and so i could not d- talk to anybody all week <laughs> you absolutely <laughs> right 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 <laughs> and so it is it's it's kind of fascinating uh how that plays out um wow that's wow i'm like really really thinking about that now like hmm, hmm. i think i do think a part of it is there's something in becoming an adult that makes you uh guard your privacy and I, I I remember like my first real job feeling like whoever it is I am, I'll need to be that here. Oh, okay. I need to be like whatever fits into the, so then like yeah. you're there sometimes at work where you might be able to meet some other people that are different from you, but you're very guarded about who, who you are there or very what true. you're going to say it is you're doing when Yo. you're not there, Yo. you know, like all those things. Real talk. So. I've been upset when I, when I did work at a corporate job, I've been upset when I would see like a friend request notification <laughs> from someone from work. Cause I'd be like, like who oh no. and how Mm-mm. did you find me on here? Mm-mm. Cause I do not want to like, I, they have to pay me. <laughs> For me to get to know you during eight hours, right? Like during during that eight and a half hours yes. that I'm at a job, I'm getting paid to have to encounter with you. Once I leave, I want to know nothing about you. No, <laughs> like, <laughs> I remember taking the morning off from my corporate job 
<laughs> to do an audition. Okay. And I didn't know that the news was there. Okay. At the audition. Okay. And someone, some reporter was there trying to find out who was oh, from Atlanta gosh. at the audition. Oh, gosh. And definitely, like, I can't remember if they'd interviewed me or if they just <laughs> mentioned my name or if they took a picture. Uh, and my, I think they took a picture, if I remember right. And uh, my picture was, like, on the AJC website wow, or something. Wow, wow. And one of my coworkers, up. like, I mean, I did have at least like a couple of friends at work. Okay. Was one of my coworkers ran. She was going to make copies, <laughs> and somebody that works with us, we don't know who, Uh-oh. had already printed it uh, and had it like oh. face down on the glass. Oh no! Like they were about <laughs> to start <laughs> running the copies. So she came by like she was in a basketball game. Like she grabbed the thing. She like pivoted into my cubicle. Like, girl, they trying to stick you for your paper. <laughs> right, you know? right, right, like, right. What? Ow. So I was like, no, oh, I don't gosh. want them to know I do these things. I could have been at a doctor's appointment absolutely. this morning. You don't know me. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. You want to keep that Clark like, Kent separate. Superman separated thing. So. But to your question, because <laughs> now I feel all that time analyzing like, boy, that's profound. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think a part of it, one thing I'll say really uh, has helped me is being a part of an artist scene, uh, and particularly here in Atlanta. I think I do think it takes intentionality on our part if we do want diverse people to be of our, a part of our community. And I've learned diversity can be so many things, right? Yeah. It can be cultural background. It can be age. Mm-hmm. It can be phase of life. Absolutely. You know, it can be sexuality. Sure. It can be so many, and gender. It can mm-hmm. be just be so many different things that um, make it so that we can learn from people who are different from us. But I would say I've had to be, I have had to be intentional about that. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm like sort of an intro extrovert, you mm-hmm. know, like if I have, if I have been by myself long enough, then I can like... <laughs> <laughs> be extroverted with other people so sometimes i i do walk up to people i don't know them or i'm at a function or something and they seem interesting i'll i'll walk up and just start talking because i want that in my life but i have had to be intentional about it or i would just be around a lot of people that think the same way i do so I, i do think we have to almost we almost have to like think of what school was like and force ourselves to be in situations like that. And so Makes for sense. me, the the poetry scene in Atlanta is like that. Like you yeah. get out there and start meeting people. You're like, oh, you're someone that like, I would never know you. I would never know you. Never we life. would never be yeah. friends, mm-hmm. but I'm glad we're friends Yeah. now yeah. that I know you. But that's sort of like forcing me back to school where like you're there in this room with people that you need to interact with. So I think it's good sometimes when you can pick a class or pick some environment where you can put yourself in to make Absolutely. yourself stretch there. You know? Yeah. It's, it's, uh, I think that's very good. Very good. And I think, um, I, you know, I, I definitely agree with that, whether that be the music scene here in Atlanta or poetry or whatever, like it's, it's certain the artist scene itself. It's one of those things where it's like, Oh, like, you know, this person is, you know, uh, you know, when you see, uh, uh, inside but when you see someone like jan show up at java monkey and she's like the you know 60 year old uh white woman and you're like okay i'm i'm hearing your story you know and then this person i'm learning their uh preferred pronouns and how to address them and then i'm learning this story and i'm like like it's all of these different people that you know all make up this this hodgepodge of a world there um in light of stories you seen most recent story uh, about the the young kid Keaton? Have you seen that at all? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um. And I don't want to get into like the the 
the nuances of that story because I don't know if we really know the facts at this point. But uh, but there was a you know it brought to light uh, this story of the of the kid Keaton who I, th- I think it was in Memphis is mm. where they're based out or maybe Knoxville or something like that. But nonetheless, uh, it it definitely has put um, bullying on like display. You know, uh, however that may have come about and um this kind of combines kind of that early part of the book um in terms of loving yourself but also this lessons in adulting when it comes to um best and worst things about social media i'm curious (laughs) you know in light of bullying stories like with keaton or whomever else is like do you think social media um hurts or helps kind of combating those feelings of alienation and, and ostracism, you know, because uh, there is a, a situation where, you know, you, you, of course we know about the stories of cyberbullying that, that have occurred, right. but then it's also one of those things where you can go online and you can find people who like very particular things like you like. And so in the same way, you're kind of, you know, separated from people, but then you're also connected to people too. And I, I'm just curious what your thoughts are about that as we you create a community for yourself. Wow. I, I think that's why when I was writing about social media, I was like, I'm, it is the best and worst. Right. It is, yeah. <laughs> it is completely that the is best the answer, and worst. That is the answer, essentially, yeah. Like, I really, for the most part, don't do things as an artist that make people troll me. Until this book right here was the first time that a couple of like excerpts from the book came out. Mm. And I actually had like a couple of trolls. Mm. Do we, do we want to address the haters right I mean, now? Do I we want to, do we want to pull up? Yeah. <laughs> got this for you. Got this. <laughs> y'all could not hear that. Nah. Those were, those were fists. That was fist on the palm. Got this. got this right here for y'all. Mm. You Absolutely. know, so I'm thinking to myself, first of all, there were some things in my book that were particularly just a very, a very female experience, mm-hmm. you know, very much the experience of a woman. And I'm writing about that and definitely just mostly was just trolled by men yeah. wanting to, they want to correct yeah. what they think my theology is. Mm-hmm. They want to point out something. I'm like, you know what you need to take, you need whatever this is over here, all right. this little masculine <laughs> stuff you got. You take that over here. Please. You can't sit with us. Yeah. (laughs) Right, right, right. So that's the worst. Yeah. You know, and I and I don't know how it is for people who are, you know, even bigger figures or whatever it is that they tend to post about online brings those trolls out even more than what I experienced just from some of the chapters from this book. So I I do think curating is such a powerful word because that's really how I try to handle my social media. At the best of times, it is when I curate it well, that I am following people that are teaching me things, that I'm learning from them, that Mm. make me laugh, following artists that I'm a fan of or brands I like, you know, that to me is social media at its best, where like I get a chance to be a fan and celebrate things and learn stuff and yeah. sip tea and <laughs> go on people's comments and be nosy. Right, like right, that's right. like the best, you know, I think the worst of it is where it either becomes this like echo chamber almost mm. where you're not the, the voices that you should be hearing from. You're not getting to hear from them because the other voices that need to really be quiet are being very loud in that case. And I think sometimes we lose the idea when we're on social media that we're still talking to people 
that feel insecure, yeah. that post really good looking selfies of themselves right. when they feel horrible. Yeah. Um, and we say things back to people th- almost like they're bots or something yeah. like they don't also have feelings and heart and emotions. So I do think that's social media at its worst, but social media is really a big human experiment. It's a big psychological yeah. experiment. It's like, that's also humanity. It's true. At its worst. It's true. When we, when we don't treat each other like we're all human beings, you know? Ah, facts. Yeah. That's so real. You know, I, I just got in a conversation with someone close to me about like how uh, too often I had, I have, I have viewed social media in that similar way. Like not, you know, not per se like bots, but I definitely just looked at, Oh, that's, that's an avatar of the person. Like that's not the real person that I'm interacting with. And so all of this is harmless or it feels like this is just a fantasy world or it doesn't, it doesn't have real life implications and it does, you know? And, um, and so I do think that, you know, I do think that that observation is, is very true. Um, I also want to talk, you know, uh, one of the things that kind of came out early is like, uh, kind of this whole thing with your hair, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, um, and like I said, one of the things that I also loved about this book is I've, I've known you for, for some years. And uh, I do feel like one of the good things you talked about how it, you experience trolling from mostly, if not exclusively from men about some of the very female feminine aspects of the book. But I, I love the fact that this was unapologetically uh, female, uh, but then it was also unapologetically black female. It yeah. was unapologetically a black woman that was talking in these ways. And so one of the things that you talked about was this idea of the big chop, right? Which of course is not a term that you've coined. It's something that's out there. Um, but, you know, uh, natural hair, I've always said, or I felt like, you know, you know, the more black women that I've had in my life, I've realized that and I don't feel like this is this is an overstatement, but that uh, natural hair uh, or dealing with natural dealing with a black woman dealing with her hair. It's in the United States. It almost certainly in Western culture. It's it feels like a form of like psychological warfare yeah. that black yeah. women undergo. Mm-hmm. And you describe the process of learning to love yourself in the midst of the big chop and all of this and, you know, not trying to get you to retell the books because y'all need to go out and buy this That's right. but can you for our uh caucasian brothers and sisters who <laughs> might not understand like why going natural is such a big risk slash decision in our community can you kind of explain like what what that is and why that is such a big deal and what why there's these insecurities and fears and all these things that get wrapped up in making that decision. Because I think that on the outside looking in, I think people unaware of, you know, privilege in a lot of ways mm-hmm. will kind of look and just be like, I mean, I like your hair. It's what's the big deal. It's, you know, this is not, uh, it doesn't have to be that serious, but there's a lot that goes on there. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of layer (laughs) to that experience. I think a part of it is growing up as a black girl, you're experiencing either very explicit directions that that's that the way your hair grows is not acceptable or you're experiencing that implicitly. 
sometimes implicitly you experience by when you straighten your hair one time and like the amount of people that are like, wow. oh, you look so pretty. Wow. Yeah. You look so beautiful. I love your hair like that. Look how long it is. Right. All, yeah. Like no one has said, oh, that other way you wear your hair is ugly. I don't like it. They may not right. ever say that out loud, right. you know, but mm-hmm. now you've implicitly been told just then well, something about this is more acceptable. Yeah. And this is not naturally me. Right. So what does that mean about wow. who I am or how I am? And sometimes that is very explicit. You know, even some of the phrases that a lot of us as black girls grew up hearing, like I think in one of my poems about hair, I used that phrase like, let's get pretty for church. Mm. You know, let's get your hair done. Or, you know, if my hair were not straight, then it was like, oh, she needs to get her hair done. Yeah. You know, yeah, like yeah. just those ideas that like an afro isn't done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <That> <laughs> right. Way, you know, it's yeah. like, yeah, but yeah. it is done. Or like a lot of my friends even today will say, you know, they'll go natural and their their moms are still like, but when are you going to get your hair done? It's done, mom. Like this. <laughs> yeah. These yeah. twists. <laughs> these braids absolutely my hair is done yeah just like this you know yeah. so i think in a way you get to a point as an adult black woman that you're now realizing you've carried all of these explicit and implicit um, thoughts and ideas into mm. your adult life now yeah. you're wondering can you wear that afro when you go to a job interview will you be seen as violent mm-hmm. or as volatile right you know as aggressive yeah. will, you, will you be seen as these negative things just simply because you're wearing your hair like it grows it's crazy out of your head and it's and and all of a sudden it becomes political and a statement of some sort yeah and it's like oh so you you want to and it's like i you're just one of the other things I think that's kind of that I don't want to gloss over in what you're talking about as well is that what we're describing also, these aren't necessarily implicit and explicit things that are coming from majority culture or right. coming or rather aren't being uh, spoken to you from majority. Like it's the interest from other black men who, yeah. who, who will be like, Oh, I like, your you got pretty hair or got whatever or right or good hair good hair you know or and and like you said you know there's oftentimes like you talk about uh black girls with their with their mothers there's that generational divide that happens a lot of times too um it's just i think it's really i do think it's very interesting uh in a in a almost in a sad way that that is uh that there's that much of an internal hurdle that black girls sometimes have to go over and you know and i guess you can go the other way too uh you know and i think you kind of talk to this a little bit in the book is that like you know if you wear your hair quote natural or if you choose to straighten it and you know get a like you know as long as you're making the decision for yourself there's value and warrant in that but like but there's often a lot of times just a lot of judgment that goes either way there and so yeah i i am I am a firm believer in uh, the mantra that you you never tell a black girl how to black girl. Wow. Wow. So, we could just kind of leave that <laughs> for the people that yeah. you never. Mm-hmm. You never tell a black girl. Never tell a black how girl. How? To black girl. Man, listen. Never. You should never do that. So <sighs> I'm. You, <laughs> you know, so for Man. me, 
how I like to black girl mm-hmm. is I like my natural hair. Come through verb. You know, yeah. I like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I I cut it and cried and yeah. went through all the transitions, but it'll be like almost 10 years for me and I love it. Yeah. And I and I would not go back. Right. But just because I see another sister right. rocking her weave, her braids, her relaxer, yeah. it doesn't mean she's less black girl than me <sighs> or that I'm more black girl than she is. Yeah. Like she's still waking up black every day just like me. Absolutely. So however however it empowers you yes. <laughs> to black girl, you black girl like that. Oh my gosh! I need that. That's a good gerund right there. Two black girls. Yes. Like, 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 <laughs> However, you need to black girl. Honey. Two black girl. You black girl like that. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. Um, man. I and you know, and that's that. Of course, leads me to another thing about like, you know, I, as I said, this book is explicitly woman, but it's explicitly black woman. Yeah. You know, um, we talked about this a little bit on off the record for Fourth District, but I, I am curious again, like. How how do you navigate being, you know, you find yourself in a lot of, you know, faith-based, Christian, uh, evangelical circles often. Um, and, you know, how do you navigate that space as a black woman in sometimes largely white environments, you know, in which there's a cultural divide? And clearly we've just got been, we've just got done talking about the necessity and the importance of having a diverse community. But sometimes I would imagine it may feel like a bit of a burden when you are saddled with being the only in a room, you know, you are the only one on stage. You are the only one backstage. You are the only one that serves as like this grand representation for black girlness, you know, um, just speak a little bit about that, you know, and, and how that works through your work as well. Yeah. It was really interesting. It just came to me thinking about when I was writing that chapter on natural hair in this book. I remember when I finished the first draft, I was like sitting at my desk and I thought, I just wrote a black girl story. And like, I'm a black girl. So every story <laughs> I write is a black girl story. Right. But Right. I was like, I just wrote something that is very uniquely a black girl experience. Yeah. And wow, I'm happy that that's in this book, you know, yeah. but I also felt a little nervous about it mm-hmm. because I was like, ev- almost every black girl that reads this mm-hmm. and some women who are not black women, but grew up with curly hair. I definitely had some Latina women like, girl, thank you. <laughs> right. for sen- yeah, You know, yeah, like, yeah. thank you, girl, for speaking Absolutely. to this, you know are going to read this and go, oh, yes, thank you. I get it. I understand that. And I knew there would be an audience of people who doesn't know that journey at all, wouldn't be familiar with it. And I remember I called a friend. I want to shout out to uh, Deidre Riggs. And I was talking to her and I was like, I just wrote this chapter and it feels like a black girl story. (laughs) And she was like, we need more black girl stories. Mm -hmm. And black girl stories need to be normalized. And so for me, in in a lot of my faith journey up until really recently in the last few years of my life, most of the books I read about faith were written by people who didn't look like me. They were written by white men. They were written by white women. There were quite a few references and, and pieces of art and music and different things that those authors talked about. And I, I culturally had no idea. So I had to go like search that or Google it or ask somebody what that meant, you know? 
And I think one of the things that has been beautiful to me about uh, writing this book and seeing how it's been received and many of my women of color friends either having already had their books come out in the faith-based space or um, having their books come out in the next year or two is that telling those stories as women of color becomes normalized in the same way that when a white man or a white woman writes a book about faith, we don't think of that as a white woman's story mm-hmm. or a white man's story. It mm-hmm. almost becomes like an every woman or an every man's story, right. you know? Right. And I think there is going to be a lot of beauty. And I put a lot of beauty in writing this to say, you know, I don't, it was one of the things Deidre said to me when I, you know, kind of called her like, okay, I'm feeling like good, <laughs> but kind of nervous and not, you know, and she was like, you need to just write the story and don't feel the need to like explain every little thing. Yeah. She was like, yeah. you write the story you normalize it when you write it. And if there's anything there that people are not culturally familiar with, then they can Google the Mm. same way we had to when we were reading their books and we didn't grow up that way or we didn't know whatever that cultural reference was. She was like, so don't feel like you have to become the glossary (laughs) for black girl things. She was like, you write the story as it's true to you and you, and you leave it there. And people that want to know more about those terminologies or want to research that that's a part of why reading books is good. Yeah. You get to learn things, but that pressure is not on you. And that really freed me a lot. I think in the space where I work to say, for me, what's most important is that every room I go in, no matter who's there, Mm -hmm. that I am myself fully in my skin that I walk in fully Amina, not feeling superior to anyone, but not feeling inferior to anyone. Right. And that that uh, by itself is powerful. Very powerful. That's so good. Shout out to, who was the friend's name? Oh, Deidre Riggs. Hey, Deidre girl. Riggs. Thank you so much. No, it's so good. I think it's super instructive to, to kind of, uh, just as she said, like you, when you grow up as a um as as a marginalized or part of a marginalized community you you know very early uh adapt the skill or take on the skill of or rather just become adept at finding someone's story finding yourself in it you know like like and i'll and you know whether that's a television show or a book or whatever you're just like i grew up nothing like any of these people but what's true about it and then and then i can go from what's true whether that's an emotion whether that's a sentiment whether whatever that is and then i can kind of oh well i didn't know that people did this or did that and so i do think it's very helpful and instructive for um people who are of you know in uh you know in the majority culture uh in 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 this country or or in this whatever society it may be that they find themselves in that position of being like, hey, like one, let me listen. Yeah. <laughs> let me let me just observe. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm 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 not the catalyst in this room. I'm not the. I don't drive this engine. I'm a passenger on this. Yeah. And like you said, I'm not inferior, uh, but I'm not superior. Yeah. And I can just you know take instruction and learn. And and so no, I think that's very good because I do think a lot of artist uh artist of color find themselves in that position where it's like okay so do they do they know what this term means are they aware of right. you know what, do i need what to take the, a whole like detour yeah, explaining yeah. the merits <laughs> yeah of, yeah you know. let me uh put footnotes under everything here but um but yes um man moving along here because i i, I want to 
stay on so many parts here, but <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't want this to be too long. Um, you know, really quickly, you know, just, there was also a part in this, in this section where you talked about like, uh, you know, your princess problem is what it was, you know, my mm -hmm. princess problem is what it's called. And so it took a little bit of like redefining the term princess for yourself. Um, you know, and I'm just curious, you know, can, I don't necessarily want to have you like rehash what your problem per se with it was. You, you may need to in the, in answering this, but just kind of wanted you to unpack that a little bit in that sense of, did you did, or do you view that issue of like your issue of princess, uh, you know, what that has kind of meant in popular culture, uh, do you think that that is not just an issue for you, but also kind of an issue for society as a whole in the way that we think about princesses? And I know that in part of what informs me asking this is that you also talked about kind of the work that you do at, at Wellspring Living, yeah. uh, which is um, an organization that serves survivors of, of um, trafficking and commercial sex, sexual exploitation and um, sexual abuse. And so they of course had their own takes in the way in which they felt about this term princess. And, and it's a very, you know, it's a very gendered thing, you know, like very early on boys are taught this and girls are taught this. And so uh, I just wanted you to kind of speak through like what that rede redefinition process was like for you. And, um, and if you feel like uh, society as a whole kind of suffers from maybe a limited perspective around princess i do think it's a society problem that just it trickles down to all of us in various ways you know it's yeah. sort of like sexism and rape culture and white supremacy it's like no one can say they are unaffected or untouched right. by any of it right. it is in the air that we breathe in so many ways we we have to a lot of my friends talk about the process of like decolonizing their right. mind, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think uh, we're we're doing that in so many ways, you know. I think a part of it too is when we're when we're children, and probably sometimes still when we're adults. But mm. when we're children, there's a part of us that whatever we believe we are, we're looking to see. Well, what does that mean? I can become. Mm. And I think things like princess become that ideal and society reinforces, well, whatever we say princess is probably means a little weak. Mm -hmm. You know, she's not very strong. She needs to be rescued. Yeah. She needs a hero. She doesn't really have a story until the, you know, knight in shining armor comes riding through to swoop her up, rescue her. So I do feel good for today's girls that I feel like they have Serena Williams. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? Who's definitely I, a superhero. <laughs> yeah, completely. You know, and I mean, we had, there were, you know, different athletes and things like that. I remember when I was growing up, but I just, I almost, almost in a way kind of think of it, uh, I'm about to use a hip hop example, which might, which might involve shade, but, um, <laughs> you know, like sometimes when we think about what mainstream hip hop sounds like now, mm -hmm. that it all kind of sounds the same. And when we were growing up, hip hop was so full of variety. Mm -hmm. It was like thugs do hip hop <laughs> and dudes they wear backpacks and don't <laughs> never have hooks to their songs. They they do hip hop too. And like conscious people do hip hop. <laughs> people from the South do hip hop, you yeah. know. And I feel like in a way, sort of 
in the ways that uh, women have had role models, at least I could say in my in my generation, you know, that there wasn't as much diversity for us growing up in the ideas of what womanhood could be. It was it was princess. It was wife. It was mother. Yeah, I think it was. Um, professional woman maybe in there um, and even some of those things were very just stilted yeah. <laughs> almost yeah, and, yeah. and very narrow and then in a way like well if you're strong you can't be weak yeah, yeah you know yeah, yeah. well well if you're a businesswoman you can't also want to be a mom or something right, it was right. very narrow that way so i think there is a lot of goodness now to seeing some of that uh both and getting mm-hmm. in there mm-hmm. that like you can be beautiful and brilliant and strong and weak and need help sometimes and also do a lot of strong things for yourself yeah you can be all that right in one woman <laughs> all in one <laughs> that's really what womanhood is right there it is yeah oh man no it's it's definitely i think you're right you know and it, to think about it in the context of something like patriarchy and sexism and and racism and you know, it, it's, you know, it, he said, it's like weather, you know, like you're, you don't get a choice whether or not you're yeah. in it or not. Like you, if you exist and you're in it, mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's about like how you let that weather affect you and things of that sort. So I'm, you know, I'm, you know, moving along here and I'm, I, I wanted, I even made a note of this of like a disclaimer question and, and I'm, I will answer it myself. And I love a disclaimer. I know you I'm do. Uh, yeah, But it's like, so my, like my pre question was just like, is it messy to talk about another author's book when discussing yours? Uh, <laughs> that was like my precursor question. And I just feel like I'm just going to power through and still do that. No, I don't think it's messy. That's what's up. So, so I'm curious. So when, when we talk about like this dating aspect right okay, here, okay. like it made me, and, and this is all, there are so many like, you know, uh, there are so many like landmines because I know, <laughs> a, 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 I, I know a good portion of your life during this time. You know some of the real names. I don't names definitely know some of sure. the real names, but I'm, you know, I, but I'm curious. Like, you know, when I talk about another person, like another author's book, I'm curious. Like, you know, years removed from um, Josh Harris's, I, you know, kissing, dating, goodbye. Right, you know, I kissed, right. dating, goodbye. Mm-hmm. The book was like super influential in evangelical circles like what do we want to say late 90s early 2000s where it was just Mm -hmm. like everybody you know all these you know um youth pastors and college pastors and, and they were all like read this this is what you need to do for your life take this in and I'm just kind of curious, you know, um, you know, God, of course, oversees everything and knows what was best. But, you know, you talk about this period of like, when you're from 18 to 25 years old and just being like, man, like I was, I was abiding by this, you know, courtship is what needs to happen. Okay. Listen, <laughs> okay. Listen. I don't know what this dating is. I ain't never seen that in the we Bible. I don't know what that looked like. Okay. You didn't see courtship in the Bible either, but <laughs> that's for another time. <laughs> What's girlfriend? I ain't seen girlfriend. I ain't seen boyfriend in the box. You betrothed. You get betrothed. Please come. I don't even know if that's a word, but that's what you have. Betrothment. Yeah. (laughs) All of that. Mm -hmm. That's what it is. But um, you know, I'm curious. Like, yeah, like years removed, and and I only ask this because I think, 
even now i think josh harris is kind of on this tour now where he's he's re-examining that book a lot you know and what kind of came out of it there's been a lot of very strong critiques of what what you know term purity culture um and just kind of some of the unintended damage that has occurred possibly by um you know i don't want to say um simply by just adopting uh kind of what was espoused in the book but maybe just kind of holding to it in a way um in an extra biblical way that made it seem as though this is the only way that you can get about and that you can go about life so but it wasn't all bad and it wasn't all good and i'm just kind of curious you know Mm -hmm. when you reflect on that now as a married woman like what were some what are some good and some bad that came along with that during that time I was trying to think about some good things. Um, <laughs> yes, go through with the. Good. I was trying to think about that. I, like, hmm, I mean, is that? I guess I want to say because <laughs> I think. Well, I guess the weird part. Like, I think you said something that's very important to consider here, which is that, like, okay, for for those of us who are Christians and believe in the biblical text yeah okay i think sometimes books get written Mm -hmm. and in our minds like (laughs) this is a very bad example i'm with it in our minds we merge that book with the biblical text facts in the ways that when you warm up food on the styrofoam how like some things get merged right there and you can't like yeah yeah it's another one yeah so like i feel like some of what's happened with this book is i'm like if i actually disentangle (laughs) it's disentangle what this book is (laughs) from the ways that i am trying to interpret the content and intent of this text if i unbetroth this from come on if i I commit unbetrothal From this book and the Bible. Right, 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 right. I think what happens right there is I could look at the Bible and say, there is some content there in the scriptural text Mm -hmm. that I did find in my life to be very wise Mm -hmm. in the ways that I wanted to really honor this body um, that God gave me. And I think even when we use the word purity and we assume that is only sex, when there are a lot of ways as a person to to purify mm. ourselves and purify our motivations, yeah. that that really goes into a lot of different things, not just our ways that we handle our sexuality. Um, so I think, I think that's a part of it. That's like my first thing. Like, so yeah. I'm like, when I look at the biblical text, I'm like, I, I find a lot of good in that. Joshua Harris's book is not is not the biblical text. Right. So if I disentangle those things and I'm like, well, in the ways that some of that actually gels with what I read in the biblical text, <laughs> right, right, right. good stuff, you know, some of the other things, I don't know. And I think too, you know, I don't know if that's Western or American or what, but there's a narrative we like as it yeah. relates to love yeah. and romance. <laughs> and I think um, Joshua Harris's book fell into that narrative yeah it still it still yeah. was in the like there's one person for you kind of right, idea right, that you right, will yeah, yeah. you know go out on these group dates that you will discover this is the person for yeah. you that that you will 
you will somehow fly over the heartbreak. You right. know, you yeah. will miss that whole part if you do it this way. Man. When no matter how we love, listen, um, because we're loving human beings and we're being loved by human beings, there's yeah. going to be some hurt and heartbreak mm-hmm. um, along that journey. Right. right. Right, right, right. So I think the narrative itself was very narrow and that tripped a lot of us up. Yeah. Because we're like, well, I do this. This is like an equation. I do these things. It equals this happens to me. And God, first of all, God doesn't work like that. Like the Not equation. No. Like you might as well just like start moving the equal sign around <laughs> and like putting in some different numbers. Absolutely. Variables not even X anymore. Like Absolutely. you don't know, you know. So I think a part of it was us having to grow up and say, you know, what if that's not my narrative? Yeah. What if what if I don't meet my spouse by the time I'm 21? What if I find myself in my 30s and my 40s and I haven't met that person? Am I still supposed to be dating a group at that point? Wow. Like you know, wow. what if I like for me, my experience was what if I need to go out on some dates that are not even necessarily with marriage in mind mm-hmm. that I mm-hmm. need to just sit across the table from a man and have conversation and process that. that yeah. That's a part of maturing. Yeah, that's not a bad thing yeah. either. And that might blend into like what I was also thinking about, you know, when you were talking is that like when I revisited this chat, this part of the book, I also thought like, man, it's kind of bookended by these two separate books. Cause we also talk about uh, Dr. Henry cloud <sighs> and his book, how to get a date worth keeping. Yes. I'm here for that book. <laughs> so, and so, and so, you know, it is interesting because in that way, you know, you, you know, there, there's a series of characters that show up throughout uh, this area, whether that be uh car wash guy and Mr. Lavender pants Mm, and Mr. mm, Control mm. freak, uh, Mm. you know, a bunch of people. But um, when you talk about that book and, you know, I wanted you to kind of explain a little bit what the initiative behind that book, what that was doing, you you kind of mentioned a little bit just now, but, and what were some advantages and disadvantages with that? You know? Well, I really needed like a paradigm shift yeah. because I was really holding on to that. I kissed dating goodbye. And then I got to a point where I was like, well, if I want to kiss a hello and like nobody has a book about that and I don't know, you know, where to go if I want to at least hug it. Right. I want to hug it. Hello, right, right, right. Not like, like a, a church hug, hello. Like, a, like an actual hug, hug, <laughs> you know, like something. So that yeah. was what got me on the yeah. <laughs> Dr. Henry Cloud yeah. and Dr. John Townsend Train. Mm-hmm. Um, also tried to get Dr. Henry Cloud for this podcast. Oh, I actually wait. wanted him for that'd the dating been, episode. Oh, that would have been awesome. And either his people were like, who this? Or, <laughs> um, or he just might not want to talk. I don't know if he wants to keep talking about the dating part because he's like talking about leadership and stuff oh, now. Oh, gotcha. So I don't gotcha. know if that would be like mad, disrespectful to be like, yeah, cool, cool, cool. So listen. <laughs> so your first <laughs> album. I want to talk about Tinder. Talk to us about Tinder, Dr. Yeah, Henry yeah, Cloud. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cool, cool, cool leadership. Nah, as you hey, cool listen. and all, but that Illmatic though is what I want to hear, fam. <laughs> like, I want to hear that listen, one. Listen, you know. I feel you. So shout out to Henry Cloud. Shout out, sorry. Um, so I think going to getting into reading those books Mm -hmm. really helped my paradigm to shift Mm -hmm. to say to say there can be a different narrative 
that if I have right. passed the time, sort of that it seemed like the courtship and those things that I was being right. taught was going to work for me. It's right. like, well, what if I wake up and I'm like 28? Yeah. I'm out here with my own apartment, got a real adult job out mm-hmm. here. Um, Don't live with my parents. Like, right. what are the rules on how I'm supposed to manage or navigate any of this? So I think reading those books helped me to see there's this whole different narrative yeah. where my whatever my story becomes whether that becomes a story of me having romantic love with someone or whether it doesn't like i can have a different narrative of that and also i think it was i can grow like instead of dating being looked at as this minefield of like all these bad things gonna (laughs) happen to you you know like you could you could look at dating and say Dating can help me grow as a person. Right. It can help me see the areas where I need to grow up. Mm-hmm. It can help me develop my boundaries as to how I know if a person is even safe enough to want them to be close to me, you know? So I think mm-hmm. a lot of that stuff that Dr. Henry Cloud had in the book was just helping like shift the way that I was thinking. And I think it helped shift too that I'm not just a valuable person because I'm married or because I'm in a relationship or because I'm searching super hard for a relationship. Like I am a whole person Mm. myself. Yeah. And if I decide to engage in a relationship, I bring my whole self. Hopefully that person is in a healthy place. They bring their whole self. But I think that just starts dismantling a lot of that. Like you ain't nothing till you get a spouse and don't you get a spouse and then don't have no kids because you ain't nothing. It's like, (laughs) yeah, whatever stage of life you're in, you, you, you are where you are and where you are is good. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of that comes out of that, you know, when you talk about that late expectations chapter where where you and your friend Adrian yes. uh, went hey, to New Adrian. York <laughs> what up? and you guys went to New York. And um, one of the things that kind of kind of spoke through that is like because because, you know, you detail, uh, in, you know, in a great way, kind of just this heartbreak that you suffered. Right. And how that impacted like just your life and. Um, and so you, you know, when you do get around to getting up with Adrian, I think, uh, were you saying that you were, that was like your 30th birthday, yeah, Turner 30 around there. Yeah. And yeah. so, um, I think we've all been in places in our lives, even not even dating, but just throughout life, we've all taken, taken an assessment of our life and been like, man, I'm not far enough in whatever it is, either, you know, I'm unmarried or I'm, or I'm don't have any prospect dating or I don't have the job that I want or I don't own a home or a car or whatever the situation is, or maybe in my particular field or career or whatever. And so we've all been in that place. And um, you kind of spoke a little bit about uh, surrender being the breakthrough for you. Um, you know, and this, this kind of lines up, you know, just to, you know, in disclosure you, you, on your uh, platforms, you kind of, asked for questions from people as well. And so uh, this incorporates at least one of those in um, uh, S underscore uh, J-O-V-A, Jova. I'm not Mm -hmm. sure who it is, but- um, Hey, girl. Hey, girl. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But I'm going to ask my question and then, of course, follow up with something that she asked. But, you know, I am curious. You talked about that idea of surrender being what was kind of helpful for you in that moment. And I guess I'm curious, like, what do you say to those of us out there? Because we've all been in this position at some point or might be still there is that that haven't gotten there yet where we can like we're having trouble 
letting go, you know, um, is there anything that can be said to help someone with that? Uh, or is it kind of something where like you kind of have to come to the end of yourself for that change to happen? I do think you have to come to it. And I think, especially when it's something, when you're having to either let go of a person, like if you've been in a relationship and that relationship has ended, you have to let go of that person. And sometimes it's getting to a point in your life where you just thought it would be different and you're having to let go of that ideal even. I think there is some grief involved in it. Yeah. And I think you have to walk through the grief before you can truly surrender. I think you can say some words like, mm. you gonna let it go and you gonna whatever, you know, <laughs> some old church phrase came out of my, you know, what God has for me, it hey. is for me, mm. you know. Mm. And those things are true, yeah. you know. Yeah. But if your heart is not really, if you're not really ready to yeah. do that, it's better to be honest and say where you are. And if angry is where you are, say that if Mm. frustrated is where you are say that you know but you really do have to come to it and sometimes i have come to that place of surrender and i cry my eyes out it's not like i come to it and i'm like you know just through the tulips and the leaves like even though that's not turning out the way i wanted jesus grand exhale i'm out here (laughs) singing my hillsong songs (laughs) you know what i'm saying like sometimes i have had to come to that surrender place and i'm crying my eyes out you know yeah. I, I think jesus gave us such a perfect example of that when we're mm. watching like like jesus knew we all will have gethsemane sometimes where he is there knowing that this thing he's about to do is going to save the world it's gonna help everybody he knows yeah. that it's a good thing it's right. not gonna be bad results good results but we're watching even the son of God there, like, please find another way to do this. Like, I don't want to do it this way, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I think we can take a lot of peace in that and maybe mm-hmm. give ourselves some grace in that, that if, if Jesus perfect, right. you know, uh, had, had those kind of feelings that we can, we can come to the place of surrender, even when we're not ready to do the surrendering and just yeah. say like, yeah, I'm out here, God, but like, I don't want this. Yeah. Like what you doing in my life right now? Like, I don't want it. And I need you to help me to want that. Sometimes that's all I can say. I need you to help me to want to surrender. And I don't want to right now. And I'm about to go eat a Snickers and I'll just have to talk to you about that later on. Hey, it's just what got to happen. Yeah. You know, you know? it's real. Um, even following along with that, uh, the, the kind of submitted question from, uh, S underscore Jova was, um, what are some ways that you have had to surrender your heart uh, in the process and by writing this book itself? (laughs) 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 Looks looks at ways to exit the conversation. (laughs) Cut deep. (laughs) Looks at ways to leave. Like, Uh, oh, is this still on? Um, Man, I think two weeks before this book came out, I started feeling really, really nervous and not because I felt like I at, at the skill level I have as a writer, I felt like at the point where I was when I was writing this book, I wrote the best book I could write. I didn't have any regrets there, but I did feel like all my business was about to be out in the streets. I was like, Oh girl, you don't wrote about so-and-so. And and then you told the "Mm," like, I was starting to have the, like, everything's fine, but can I get, um, 17 and chapter 29 <laughs> <Running> and <back. laughs> pages 
24. You just basically two. wanted like them uh, government redacted yes. joints. Like you just wanted yes. like black. Like how like to fix a broken record redacted. <laughs> yeah, That's absolutely. what I wanted to like release, you know. Sure. So I think the biggest uh, place of surrender for me has been in uh, letting those stories go out there and in letting them go out there, knowing that it's still vulnerable for me. Cause I chose to write about some stories in this book that I didn't have like the testimonial end for, right, you know, right. I chose to leave some of them like, well, you know, I don't have all the answers on this one. So I'm leaving this out here. I think it's different when you wrote something that happened to you one time, but you're like, and now I'm past that, you know, and I eat strawberries with homemade whipped cream and everything's fine, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. to really leave some things, uh, not tied up in the bow and yeah, leave some prayers unanswered out there, you know, to share that with people. Uh, that was really, really vulnerable. So that was a place where I had to surrender to what that process needed to be for me Yeah, and how my agreeing to share those things was also going to really be helpful to other people. So there was this healing exchange I have found thus far in the book being out that a lot of the things I wrote have been very cathartic in mm-hmm. ways I didn't know that they would be. Like just to have the bravery to say some of it is yeah. like, whew, that helped me to kind of like fix another, you know, find another broken record fixed really right, in my right, life, right. you know. And to have other people say that the book has also been healing for them, I think that made the surrender worth it. But I had to surrender to that yeah. process. Sheesh. Yeah. That's I mean and it's so much easier it's so much easier to um you know to kind of talk those things as opposed to like do them or whatever yeah yeah so yeah um man there's so many things that i like made notes i'm like man i want to talk to her about this and talk to her about this but i'm gonna try to do uh two or three like quick ones you know okay. that, that aren't that aren't big what's one of your favorite no's that you've ever given Ooh, uh I think one of my favorite no's I've ever given was no, I will not perform the poem in the ways that you have just directed me. Nice. <laughs> nice. I've nice. been doing the poem. <laughs> so I'm going to do the poem. Absolutely. And you're going to listen. That's what's up. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's good. I bet that felt really satisfying. Awesome. There it is. Uh, what's one of one of your favorite yes that you've ever given? Hmm. I know it sounds really sappy, but one of my favorite yeses would definitely be saying yes to marrying Matt Owen. That's the yes. only correct answer right there. I mean, other than that, Jesus, right just, there. but yeah, <laughs> right, but, but, yeah. but I'm with it. I'm definitely with it. you, Jesus, though. <laughs> Def- biggest yes, On the back Jesus. Edge, but... biggest, biggest yes of all to you, Jesus. Biggest no, one. Definitely right wanted... <laughs> under there is the yes. Definitely wanted to uh, talk Opie. about that because uh, there's these, the, the power of yes and the power of no, which were very, I think, you know, yeah, it's just p- important, important to talk about um and then you know i'm i'm also just curious about like if you could speak you know super briefly even just like when you talk about that idea of home you know and and roots because i do think it's important to maybe you know even ending on that idea of just like what what has what has even the process of this entire writing this book and everything what has it taught you about 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 like home, what that truly is for you. And, and, and I don't want to add more to it, but what has it taught you? Oh man. I mean, it's taught me that you can, you can make home in a lot of places. Yeah. And it's taught me to really value the people that I feel at home with. Mm -hmm. Like I, I pay more attention now to the people that, I mean, 
uh adon knows this because he comes to our house all the time but Facts. like we really we really love people when we let them come over and we don't clean up for them and we always we don't say it anymore to you now because you kind of know that's what's up mm-hmm. but when don would first like come <laughs> visit especially like the place where we live now when he was first coming to visit that place we'd be like we love you <laughs> so we ain't clean up nothing come on in right right you know? right so i think even that a part of making home with people is really not being afraid to be yourself not being afraid to be a mess yeah sometimes and and letting people like love on you while you're in that space inviting them into that with you you know very true very true man um i know that there we talked for maybe like over an hour at this point still i there's at least a thousand more questions that i can think of but you know just generally speaking like um you know, one again, thank you for this work. Thank you for this book. You know, what's next for you? Ooh, what's next? <laughs> I'm like, I really, I, this is my second time doing a podcast. Many of you know that my sister in law, Missy, and I have a podcast called Here for the Donuts. Yeah. So that was my first foray into podcasting, which we're still doing that. Nice. Uh, coming. So season two is also coming of Here for the Donuts. That's happening. Uh, but I, I really enjoyed this podcasting where I'm getting to interview people and do some of those things. So I am excited. We don't have any drum rolls. We can. <laughs> yeah that's all we have um adon already was telling you all that he is the site anr for fourth district so i am excited to announce that i will be partnering with fourth district and releasing a continual amina brown podcast in 2018 so i'm really excited about that because i was like i'm gonna miss y'all this is our last episode this is our last episode of how to fix a broken record podcast right. but it is not the last podcast episode that I will ever release. And I've already got the idea mm. is solid in my mind. Yes. Um, it's going to be very uh, centered around the voices of women and each season will have a theme and I'm y'all, I'm like, <laughs> I want to tell y'all everything. <laughs> I want to tell you everything. Man. So there'll be more information to come about that, but that's next. And how to fix a broken record tour right, man. is also next. Here for so all of that. I'm looking to come to wherever your city is. If there are donuts and if there is fried chicken, if your city doesn't have those two things, I don't know. You yeah. got to talk to me offline about Absolutely. it. I don't know. No, no, no. I I, it's fair. You got to have standards in this world. Mm-hmm. I'm with it. Um, let me say, speaking on behalf of the team over at fourth district, we are overjoyed and excited to be, uh, featuring, uh, um, Amina Brown, as well as just, you know, on top of that, just being an accomplished artist, but then just really making sure that we um, are taking the mission seriously of amplifying voices uh, from women of color. And um, we are just overjoyed and excited that you'll be partnering for this podcast. I share the same level of joy and excitement that you have with your own podcast. I'm like not even doing anything on it. I'm just like, I'm just like, I can't wait. I can't wait because y'all, when I tell you this thing, it's so exciting. It's so well-crafted. It's just, I, we can't wait until we spill the beans about all that information, but be on the lookout likely yeah. in the new year, 2018, yeah. um, you will see some more info coming from fourth district. Again, that's F O R T H district. A lot of people think the number four, but no fourth district, uh, dot com. And, um, and yeah, so, um, man, but definitely get book her, bring her 
for this how to fix a broken record it's gonna be dope. because all the questions that I ain't get to you might be able to get to know. with her That's you know right. what I'm saying that's what I think so and yeah. in between time I'm going to be on uh, off the record which yes. is a fourth district podcast it is so yes. you, can, you can check that out in between so we don't have withdrawals from each other yeah. until said yeah. time as I am back Absolutely. now this is my turn to oh, flip okay. it back okay I, I'm turning the keys uh, back yeah, over yeah to and you. everything's you got, fine it was that's no what's fender up. benders that's what's up I appreciate everything's that everything's good yeah. you have no you know you have no uh, no smoke I even tried to fill up I tried to fill up the tank you know what I'm saying? Just because I like to leave things Come better on. than how I found them. You feel me? Anyway. Yeah. I'm here for it. So <laughs> even though you interviewed me most of the time, you're still a guest here oh, on How to Fix a Broken Record That's podcast. True. That's true. And every guest has had to answer favorite album oh. of all time. Wow. Okay. So I know this might be hard for you because... <sighs> Like basically in my mind, it'd be like Questlove, Adon Bean, as far as like <laughs> music archives. Because every Big. now and then I'd be talking to Adon, I'd be like, "You remember so and so song?" And then uh, it was on some kind of album. I can't remember the name. And he'd be like, "Oh, that was so and so an album that came out in 1992." And the reason why it came out in 92 was because like he'll be knowing all the information. Stop. Stop. So if I'm gonna give you some outs right here, you okay. can do a favorite album of all time. Yeah. If that's too hard, you can do favorite album right now. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. You can do a top three. That's all I can do. Because hey, you can't I get in here and be doing the Dick Clark. It's like, you need to <laughs> no, that's fair. Him. That's to, fair. That's okay. fair. No, no, no. Um, so what I'll do is this, because so many things went through my mind when you asked this question. I would just give you, uh, f- like, favorite, like, I'll give you top three that has come to my mind. Okay, okay. You know what I'm saying? It, like, like these ain't... Not in any particular yeah, order. Yeah, no particular okay, order. Not definitive, it. not exhaustive, not comprehensive, but it's just what comes to my mind. So I'm going to go with, uh, you know, one of them I will say, uh, just because it was influ- influential to me, was uh, uh, the 1999 classic, October 1999. I remember uh, the month and year was uh most deaths black on both sides <gasps> yes, debut album yes yes <sighs> touch me in a perfect wonderful yes. place well, that was awesome uh secondly i will say uh in what i believe to be stevie wonder's genius period i will go with the album talking book which has mm. hands down my favorite stevie has been mentioned two or three times and not that album i'm so telling I'm, I'm really proud it's of you all for i mean it, talking it's book. just that period of whether when you go from music on my mind to inner visions talking book fulfilling this first finale and then you move all the way up to you know um songs in the key of life which Did is like hear that, that though, how like, he was naming all it's just records everything's fine continue <laughs> but i'm just saying man talking book Man, his 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 lesser talked about uh, wife at the time, Sarita, wrote the song uh, Blame It on the Sun. And that song is so amazing on Talking Book. That's amazing. So anyway, so that and then I would have to just shout out uh, this is like on a personal level because it just always this artist is just impacted the way that I write and the way that I approach things. And that is uh, uh, the amazing Muslim albino from Minneapolis, Minnesota named Brother Ali. Come on, Brother he Ali. Had an, uh, his album, there, there's a bunch of albums I could choose from, but I will go with the one that I heard for the first time when I was on tour. And it was an, uh, an album called Shadows on the Sun. And I just never felt that someone was so uh, ridiculously honest, but talented and just the way in which he was able to uh, universalize a story about being a white albino Muslim 
growing up in Minneapolis and growing up in the Midwest. And like, it just, it's resonance with me. It was just amazing. And just to see where he's gone politically and other places. Fantastic. So that would be it. Black on both sides, shadow on the sun, talking book. That's what I got for you I'm right here now. for it. Now, if people want to listen to your music yes. because you make music, I do that. You are a podcaster. I do if that. they want to listen to these podcasts, what if they just want to follow the Adon bean things? Yeah. How would you direct them to begin the journey? Uh, to begin that journey, I would say probably whether that be on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, how about you just go with Adon Bean? That is A D A N B E A N. Again, that is A D A N B E A N. Those are my handles on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. There you will find um the pretty much i will promote uh any music or podcasts that i host ones that feature amina um and then my own music podcast but then also any work that i'm doing you can all find it there and then if not there directly you absolutely could go over to fourth district and you'll be able to find more of my information over there again that is f-o-r-t-h district Com. I curate also a, a, a weekly playlist, music playlist every Monday. So you can go over to fourth district and, and get the new tunes that can get you through that week. So yeah, man, holla at your boy, man. Thank you for being thank my you. last guest slash I'm interviewee what? interviewer. I mean, you did I'm all excited. the things. So thank you for closing out how to fix a broken record podcast. And I want to thank all of you for listening and rating this podcast and subscribing. I really, really appreciate all of your listens. And I look forward to joining y'all in podcast land again very soon. See y'all soon. The How to Fix a Broken Record podcast is produced by DJ Ope Diggy at Orange Fuzz Studios in Atlanta, Georgia. The book, How to Fix a Broken Record, is available wherever books are sold. Thanks for listening.